It is Monday, November 14th, and welcome to episode 150 of Fault Lines, the National Security Institute's podcast that gets you quickly up to speed three times a week on the national security and foreign policy debates shaking up America. So right at this very moment that we are recording this podcast, President Joe Biden and General Secretary Xi Jinping of the Chinese Communist Party are meeting in Bali, Indonesia at the G20. It is their first face-to-face meeting as heads of state. Xi is coming off his successful power grab at the 20th People's Congress just a couple of weeks ago. That's the every five years gathering of Communist Party apparatchiks. He now appears to be the undisputed leader of China with all of his rivals eliminated. His personal power grab comes at a price, however. China's economy is in the doldrums. There's a credit crisis. There's a COVID crisis. China has its bleakest economic outlook in decades. At this same time, directly related, I would say, Xi Jinping has been dramatically increasing rhetorical threats against Taiwan. He's been increasing uh, the pace of military activities near the island in a threatening manner. So things are hot in China. President Joe Biden comes to this meeting with the American political winds at his back. His party, the Democratic Party, kept the Senate against all expectations and minimized losses in the House. And so the coming Republican majority is much tinier than anyone expected. This meeting hugely important. The U.S. and China are the world's leading nations, both militarily and economically. Two biggest economies in the world intertwined in so many ways. Uh, so the, the stakes are high at this meeting. There's a number of cross-cutting issues that will be relevant. Climate change, threats against Taiwan, China's support for the Russian invasion of Taiwan, the Biden administration and Congress's effort to segregate off uh the American high technology sector from the Chinese high technology sectors to keep them from getting the most advanced computer chips. So this is this is a big moment. It's going to set the table for the next couple of years. Folks, what do we think about what's at stake here for, for Joe Biden in particular? He's got two more years of his first term. This is he's setting the table now for what is likely to be a big issue in uh, the next election. He's very likely to be a candidate of his party for reelection. How much does this matter for his political future? Well, you know, less in my view, I think uh, this matters a lot, right? Uh, President Biden's, the thing that's going to drive his election is going to be domestic politics. So to the extent that foreign policy matters, this is the foreign policy relationship that matters, right? And so the president said uh, early on that he's going to be tough with, with uh, President Xi. He's going to try to understand his red lines, try to try to explain our red lines, um, and see if there are areas where we can collaborate. I do think there's this sort of, you know, fiction going on in the Biden administration uh, based on their national security strategy that we might be able to cooperate or collaborate with China on things like climate change. I mean, China's building, as we talked about on our COP27 uh, conversation, you know, half the world's coal-fired, you know, plants, power plants, the idea that we can collaborate with them on, on climate change seems, you know, ephemeral at best. Um but there are areas where we really need to push back and make clear to them that we're going to defend our allies and our friends, including when it comes to Taiwan. China just sent over over three dozen uh, aircraft across the center line just this weekend uh, of the Taiwan Straits, once again threatening that nation. Uh, so there are real problems here, um, not to mention China's no limits partnership with Russia and its willingness to allow North Korea to launch uh you know, ballistic missiles over Japan in our direction. None of these things are good. Uh, Chinese to be told that the U.S. has red lines in this space, and then he's understand that we will defend those red lines. I think they might question that given our precipitous withdrawal from Afghanistan and our, you know, kind of namby-pamby approach to Ukraine and our, and our defense of the Ukrainians. 
I want to push back on you, Jamil, a little bit on the Ukraine mamby-pambiness. Ukraine is winning on the battlefield. The Russians are pulling back across the board. The Biden strategy to me has actually been pretty successful. Yes, we could argue they should be giving longer range missiles and maybe some more aircraft and that kind of thing, no doubt. So I would say on the margins, yes, I would, I would entertain some, some criticism of Biden, but the basic policy has been very successful. I think it gives pause to Xi Jinping about any thought that he could actually successfully invade Taiwan. It's so interesting you say that, Les. I actually think the exact opposite. Uh, I think the – look, there's no doubt the Ukraine has been successful, and we provided them some of the support they need to be successful. The problem is we slow-walked it the whole way. Thousands and thousands of Ukrainians have died because we didn't deter this conflict from happening by providing the very weapons we provided now – Early on in the conflict, at the beginning of the conflict, had we provided those weapons, that training before it happened, the Russians might not have come across the border. And when they did, the Ukrainian response would have been much more successful. A lot less civilians would be dead. It's this idea somehow that, you know, oh, well, it's all worked out fine. Yeah, it has worked out pretty well for the Ukrainians, partially thanks to us. We could have done a lot more. And I actually think what, what, Xi Jinping ta- what Xi Jinping takes away from this, the Ukrainian conflict is the Americans and the Europeans don't have the, don't have the will of their own power to, to go in ahead of time and defend that nation. If I move in quick and I'm brutal and I crush the opposition, they won't even be able to get here in time. They couldn't do it in their own backyard. They're definitely not going to do it across the Pacific Ocean in Asia. I think that's what he reads about what happened in Ukraine. Jess, what do you think? So turning a little bit more back to Bali, <laughs> I agree with Jamil, you know, and, and U.S. Biden's coming in. We're a little surprised about the outcome of the midterms. But I think what we see with the national defense strategy and the national security strategy is kind of a blurring the line between foreign domestic policy, right? Like we've got this big ban on exports with semiconductors and these um, cutting edge technologies. And so, you know, what can we do vis-a-vis China? Like how do we shore up American leadership, like technology leadership, right? And it seems like that's a huge emphasis of the new, of the administration of, con- of and what will be Congress. Um, and, you know, I think what's interesting is to Les's point about the new, the House uh, slimmer majority is, you know, does Biden outhawk the hawks? Like, what does that look like with a smaller, a slimmer uh, Republican majority coming into the House? Yeah, I mean, look, I think Jess makes a really good point, Les. I mean, look, there's not even outhawk. You don't even need to outhawk the hawks because the hawks, the Republican Party, are, are a minority at this point, you know, or at least maybe on the on the run. I think, look, I think the majority of the Republican Party supports uh, our efforts in Ukraine. I'm not worried about that going away, but I do worry that a lot of Republicans, particularly these newly, some of these newly elected ones, will put pressure on, on McCarthy to not be as supportive of Taiwan uh, as he ought to be. And I think that's a real problem. I mean, Les, what, am, I, am I missing something here? I mean, you're the, you're the, the real expert on this congressional stuff. Having I think there's, the House and the Senate. Yeah. I think there's, first of all, the House is going to be a giant mess, uh, no matter how the rest of these races shake out, whether the Democrats have a two-seat majority or the Republicans have a two-seat majority. It's going to be total chaos. Within the chaos, though, there are, progress can be made. There's no question the U.S. should ramp up its efforts to uh, enhance Taiwan's ability to defend itself. That's going to mean more spending. That's going to mean more defense spending. And I do think we should be looking at a substantial increase in the overall U.S. defense budget. There's no doubt peace comes from strength. And we shouldn't kid ourselves that we can somehow deter bad things in the world while cutting our defense spending. It's just not going to happen. And and to that extent, Jamil, I agree with you on the run up to Ukraine. But I do think as Joe Biden walks into that meeting with Xi Jinping, the first thing you can say is, boy, look at that uh, Russian withdrawal from Kherson, uh, Mr. Secretary General. What do you think of that? Uh, you know, he can he can have a little stature as he as he rolls into that meeting. He can stick his chest out a little bit and, and legitimately so. So I think Joe Biden has an opportunity. Reach out to 
the moderates in his own party, reach out to the mainstream Republicans, and they are the vast majority on issues like this. I think our isolate the isolationist caucus in the Republican Party is smaller than than we think, smaller than we we fear, certainly. So this is an opportunity for Joe Biden to show some real leadership, to to be in the middle, while at the same time being the bigger man in the in the two person head to head meeting. Speaking of Congress, though, Jones. I mean, we've seen reports though that McCarthy is interested in a visit to Taiwan if he becomes Speaker. I mean, do you think that would happen? What do you think? You know, what is how is that going to come across on the on the mainland? Look, I, Jamil's Jamil's going to jump all over me for this, but the real architect of the U.S. policy towards Taiwan is not the president; it's Congress. Always has been. It's been that way going back to 1979 when the Taiwan Relations Act passed. Every single president of either party has tried to back off of the commitments to Taiwan. To, to again, to Joe Biden's credit, he's actually done that less than other presidents. Even Ronald Reagan, our, our revered Republican icon, pulled back from commitments to Taiwan until Congress pushed him to to enhance them. So no matter who the speaker is, whether it's Nancy Pelosi or Kevin McCarthy, I expect them to go to Taipei, make that relationship solid. That's the reason it's been stable for 43 years is because it's led by Congress. I actually agree with Les on this one. You're completely right. The Taiwan Relations Act and, and congressional support, contrary to, uh, to the White House support for Taiwan, is what's moved the needle every time on Taiwan, like it did on uh, Iran sanctions for a long time. So I think you're exactly right, Les. And I, I applaud uh, Speaker McCarthy uh, for being willing to go if, in fact, he does do it. I question whether he would, because, look, he didn't go with uh, with Pelosi. He didn't even make a trip around that time. Mitch McConnell hasn't done it. I actually think, you know, this is a place where I think Nancy Pelosi deserves a lot of credit for doing it and doing it against the Biden administration's wishes. I think that's a win. I think McCarthy should do it. Um, and hopefully he has the support of the president to do it, unlike Speaker Pelosi. Totally agree with you. I'm going to make one more quick point before we're done. That is both the president and Congress should be looking for ways to drive a wedge between the Chinese Communist Party and capitalists in that country. There are a lot of successful business people in China who don't like the direction of the government. Let's offer them an articulated safe harbor for behavior of independent Chinese companies, some of which are very successful, to undermine the authority of the Chinese communist regime. Okay, on that note, that's a wrap. Thanks to Gabriel Otis from NSI and Claude Jennings for their help producing today's episode. Join us again this upcoming Wednesday for the next installment of Fault Lines, our podcast that gets you smart fast on the national security debates shaking up America.